Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Skip. And I'm Zach, and we are very excited to have Maria Trujillo joining us here today. Maria A. Trujillo, class of 01, serves as the Human Trafficking Program Manager at the Colorado Department of Public Safety in its Division of Criminal Justice, specifically the Office for Victims Programs. In this role, Trujillo coordinates the effects of the Colorado Human Trafficking Council that was legislatively established by the Colorado General Assembly. Trujillo spent the previous six years in Houston as the executive director of the nonprofit organization United Against Human Trafficking. Trujillo graduated from Claremont McKenna as an international relations major in 2001. She obtained her master's degree in international communications from American University. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so one of the questions we like to just open up and ask our guests is this uh, question of inflection points or points where you felt you had to pivot or change something, be it in your personal or professional life. And could you share maybe one or two of these inflection points with our listeners today? Well, one of the biggest um, inflection points that happened in my life was actually the big pivot that I made to um, focus on human trafficking. So I had recently come back from spending a year living in Japan and I had traveled to lots of different countries while I was there, China, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. And during that time, I really felt I saw a lot of human trafficking face to face. I didn't know that for sure, but I had a lot of um, inclination that that was what was going on with a lot of people I interfaced with. And so when I came back to the United States, I moved back to D.C. where I was where I was in grad school. And I really wanted to find a way that I could contribute to my community and I was very interested in this topic of human trafficking. And I had a f- friend who was also interested in human trafficking. So we did a Google search and tried to find a group or something that we could join. And we found a meetup group called DC Stop Modern Slavery. Hmm. And we f- saw their first meeting. We went to that meeting and we saw this grassroots community group that was just average citizens wanting to make a difference on human trafficking. And so we joined and quickly became part of the leadership of this group. And little did I know that soon became like what I called my pro bono job. I was working international development at the time. I was doing this all on the side as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And then there came a point during that time as a volunteer where I just decided that this is what I wanted to do. I was passionate about this issue of human trafficking. I wanted to find ways that I could do more than just be a volunteer in my spare time. So I just put it out there to the context that I made as a volunteer and said, I want to do this full time. I want to work on this issue. I need to pay my bills. Yeah. How do I make that happen? And someone that I met and that was living in Houston, she's like, Hey, I'm hiring an executive director to run our organization. Wow. If you're interested, send me your resume. And I was like, I never thought I would move to Texas Um, (laughs) as a Colorado. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about Texas, but I was like, you know what? This is what I asked for. Let me send my resume and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Several months later, all of a sudden I had an offer to be the executive director and I was leaving everything that I built in DC behind and jumping on a plane and moving to Texas to run this nonprofit. Mm. So was that transition kind of from in DC, you were working maybe more in advocacy and then in, in Houston, maybe more policy or, or that st- transition still had not occurred until you're. No. So I was running out in DC. I was working for an interna- international development organization that recruited healthcare professionals to do teaching and training in developing countries. So kind of a very different career path. Yeah. Um, and 
I was really interested in like cross-cultural studies and wanting to originally why I went to grad school is that I wanted to go and be a cross-cultural trainer for multinational corporations, sending their employees overseas and helping them like adapt and be productive employees. So that was really my goal and kind of what I was trying to do in DC. But then as I was getting more involved and more um, informed and interested in the issue of human trafficking, I found that that was really pulling me in this totally different direction. And it was still very grassroots in Houston, the work that I was doing. Um, we were really doing a lot of awareness raising, training of frontline professionals, and really engaging the community to take action is a lot of the work that I was mm -hmm. doing in Houston. So it was not yet policy. Yeah. And then all of that kind of experience in Houston led me to the opportunity to move back to Colorado where I get the chance to do a lot more high-level policy where I'm setting um, a comprehensive plan for the entire state on how to address human trafficking. Mm, yeah. So um, right now it's it's currently uh, March 6th right now. And uh, one of the things that's big on the news is the travel ban. Mm -hmm. um, one common theme is, to me at least, is that um, often – human rights or moral issues get subverted to other considerations like national security, either rational or irrational. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that in your work with human trafficking? And is that that has to be frustrating if it, if it occurs? And how do you deal with that? And what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think the climate right now, the political climate around immigration and the immigration ban is going to have a huge effect on human trafficking. One of the big challenges that we have in the field is uh, we do not have a lot of victims. Well, we, one of the bigger problems is underreporting. We don't have a lot of victims self-reporting their situation and their and the exploitation that, are, that they're experiencing, especially mm -hmm. from foreign national victims. And one of the primary reasons why they are not coming forward is because of that immigration status. Mm -hmm. That is a big way in which traffickers keep people under their control. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes people believe that people are coming into this country undocumented and that's why they're vulnerable to human trafficking. And that's certainly a percentage of the vulnerability. However, there's been studies that happened recently where it shows that a vast majority of international victims that are being brought into the country for the purpose of trafficking are actually entering the country legally mm -hmm. and they have legal um, visas that, are, that they're coming in on, but those visas are being exploited by the employer who basically becomes their trafficker. And actually it's that legal status that is being held over their head. And if they leave or report the exploitation that they're experiencing, that is when their status would no longer be valid. And so it's a huge fear for a lot of these individuals to come forward and report the crimes that are being committed against them because of that status. And they don't want to be out of status. And so right. the kind of climate that's being created in our country right now, I think is going to have even much dire circumstances on terms of people coming forward and reporting these crimes. And we're seeing it in other fields too, where it, just in the city of Denver, they're talking about how so many domestic violence cases are being dropped just recently really? because people are not showing up for court because they're afraid to, the victim is not showing up. And so the charges are being dropped mm -hmm. by the perpetrator because of these situations of immigration status and ICE agents basically showing up at the courthouse. Yeah. And, and fear is such a powerful emotion for pretty much everyone. How do you um, address that in your work? Like for the victims who are scared of coming forward, how do you, um, what do you tell them or how do you work with them or how do you um, try to overcome fear of someone who you don't know about who might not be reporting their situation? Yeah, fear is a huge thing. And part of how you help with that is also training the law enforcement officers and, pr and prosecutors 
about the fear that people are experiencing. And it doesn't matter if their fear is at the end of the day valid or not. The fact that they are fearful is enough to keep someone under control. And I think that's a big difference. Like I think we often talk about that in domestic violence where, well, why don't they just walk away? They can walk away. They have agency to do that. But it is because of this fear that that's why people don't, because they Mm -hmm. truly believe that someone will find them and that they'll never be able to escape that same level of fear is very applicable in human trafficking. And so I think part of it is training law enforcement and prosecutors about that fear and how to work with a trafficking survivor to try to help with that fear and put that aside and try to build trust and rapport and letting them know that when they first interact with a victim, they're not going to hear the truth and that's okay. And Mm. do not hold that against them that it's going to take numbers and like very many interviews before they might get nuggets of truth and be able to hear the full story. And Mm. knowing that from the beginning, I think really helps for investigators and also then working with trafficking survivors and often telling them like, it's up to you to make the decision about reporting to law enforcement, especially when you're dealing with adults. I mean, with children, it's a little bit different, right? The decision is yours and we could spend a lot of time building trust and rapport until you're ready And often that's in like, if you have the right prosecutor and you have the right investigator that you've already partnered with and you already have trusting relationship as professionals, then that often works. There was a case here in California, actually, of a young Egyptian woman who was under 18, who was held captive as a domestic servant with a family. And it took her three years before she was ready to tell her story. And everyone involved in her recovery was very patient with that, knowing that someday maybe she'd want to tell her story and they waited Mm. for her to feel comfortable and build that trust and then finally tell her story. And then they were able to go after the traffickers. And oftentimes people aren't willing to have that patience. Um, but if you do enough of the training and and have them recognize this is what it really takes, then a lot of prosecutors understand that and law enforcement will understand that the patient is real patience is really important in these situations. And that, that was three years after she was like freed or exactly. Okay. Wow. So you mentioned um, a lot building trust between law enforcement and, and individuals, maybe undocumented individuals or individuals subjected to this this human trafficking. Um, how do you see kind of that tension? Obviously, you um, heading the, the Colorado office, you have kind of control of maybe the state level. But mm-hmm. when when you see uh, rising mass deportations at the federal level or maybe more emboldened uh, Department of Homeland Security agents or others, um, how do you kind of... Uh, 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 look at that tension between between potentially the state and federal or, or, or even uh, local and, and, and federal. How, do, how does that play out? Yeah, it's an incredibly difficult situation because everyone has different agendas and they are provided different maybe instructions and things like that. And I do think at the end of the day, it comes down to personal relationships and building strong personal relationships. And that's something that I believe has been a hallmark of the success of my career is spending that time with individuals, understanding what their agenda is and what they're trying to achieve and seeing where there is, um, points where you are actually in are in agreement. You might be coming from very different points of view, but if you spend the time understanding their perspective and their point of view and what they're trying to achieve, I think you could be more successful. And that's what people want to be heard and they want to know that you're trying to appreciate their perspective and finding solutions together. And so I think that's really important. I spent a lot of time building really strong relationships with 
FBI agents, Homeland Security investigators, um, U.S. attorneys, uh, prosecutors, DAs, and things like that. And that has paid off because when I was in Houston, I had those strong relationships that even if I had an undocumented worker who was potentially a trafficking victim, I could have an honest conversation with an investigator and saying, I need you to do this interview. And if you don't agree that it's human trafficking, I also need you to walk away. Mm. And I think if you spend that time to really invest in those relationships, you'll be much more successful. And those tensions, yeah. although they're there, um, will be more, you know, they will, they will go away because you've spent the time to really build mm. those relationships. And it's hard. And we I see it all the time. You know, you have people coming from very different perspectives. Um, but I think you can come to some common ground and compromise if you really spend that time with a, building those relationships. And then going off that, have you seen that shift at all or change since the election or since since the new administration's uh, shift in policy potentially? Not yet. Okay. Um, so far, we've kind of been operating um, in the same way. And so... We'll see how that goes. I, mean, I haven't had spent too much time since election speaking with my Homeland Security folks, but it'll be interesting to see if there is a shift. Um, they're really all I mean, I think the other thing you have to remember is that a shift in policy and administration doesn't necessarily change that individual that you have a relationship with. They're right. still the person that you could talk to and work out these issues with. And um, it's not them. It's policy. And so you have to kind of take that, take the individual outside of the policy focus and that the administration's putting down. So I think it's important too. Hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you touched on earlier, which is that you um, spent a year in Japan before um, you were going to graduate school. Um, and to talk more about your background, um, what made you, um, you said you wanted to make an impact in your community. I guess, how did your previous experiences affect that? Um, desire? Did um, having international experience mm -hmm. um, uh, um, affect that? Because obviously you work with a lot of um, um, international people or uh, migrants. Um, can you talk more about like experiences you have? Sure. I think um, I've always was felt that um, having an international relations focus was really important to me and studying abroad. And so while I was at CMC, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Paris. And then I also spent, I was, um, got a McKenna fellowship to mm. spend a semester or not a semester, a summer living and doing independent study work in Israel and Palestine. Okay, wow. And I think just that unique experience of living overseas helps me understand and appreciate that everyone has a different perspective and a different lens at looking at the world right. and that common ground is created by appreciating and understanding that and understanding what I bring to the table and what kind of lenses I'm bringing and that, and then also listening and understanding what other people are saying and that they come from a different perspective. So I really think that living abroad really helps with that. And also living in Japan. I mean, I lived in a village of 10,000 people and I lived oh. there for a year and I didn't speak any Japanese when I first got there. I think I could say like one, two, three, and that yeah. was it. And so that was really humbling for me to kind of see things in a different way. Like I was the foreigner mm -hmm. in Japan in that homogeneous society that is Japan. Yeah. I was the one that was stared at on a regular basis mm -hmm. and people watched me while I was shopping and walking down the street. And um, so that really gave me 
a very good perspective of what it feels like through and through to be a foreigner and allows me to have a lot more empathy for the kinds of experiences that maybe trafficking survivors have um, living here or just you know, any kind of like just having that different perspective, I think is really important. And I also think being at CMC really instilled in me this desire to give back and be of service mm. and be, you know, and also be a leader um, and, and give back to my community. And I've always, I walked away from CMC knowing that I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do as a career, but I did know that I wanted a career that meant something that wasn't about just earning a paycheck, but that actually contributed to our society in some way. Hmm. Absolutely. So unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. Um, and it's a question we like to ask all our guests. And the question is, um, what is your personal definition of success? And what advice would you give to students in defining success for themselves? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think success for me has really been having a rewarding career and feeling like I'm making a difference regardless of what that is, um, that I'm making an impact. And, um, I think that's really important. I also think it's really important to not be so tied to this one path that your life makes a lot of different shifts and turns and you need to be okay with that. I mean, I could have easily said, no way I'm going to move to Texas. I'm not going to ever do that. Mm. And I, I want to be in DC, DC, and that's all I want to do. And if I would have made that choice instead of allowing that opportunity, I would not be where I am today. And so I think to go with the flow and go with those twists and turns that happen in life is incredibly important. Um, I certainly didn't graduate from CMC thinking that I would have a decade-long career in the anti-human trafficking field. I had no idea that that's what I was going to do with my mm -hmm. life. Um, but I'm really happy and excited that I allowed – I was open to all those opportunities that brought me to where I am today. Great. Well, as Skip said, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you, Maria, for joining us here today. And to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry. <laughs>